This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. In connected places, the stories of Adam and Eve, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Naomi, David, Isaiah, Mary, Jesus and his parables, the thief on the cross, and today, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We've wrestled together with how God sometimes seems unrecognizable, how God takes so long to help, and how God seems silent when we need him to speak most. We have questioned why God asks us to do the impossible and what to do with our anger and whether God is inclusive or exclusive. We've pondered over the Christmas story and what our world would look like without us and them and if Jesus really does meet our expectations. Today, we will meet God in the unexpected place of the dinner table through the eyes of two people who should have known him but didn't recognize him. Would you open your Bibles for our second reading this morning from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. It's on page 78 of your New Testament in your pew Bibles. Luke 24, verse 13. The passage we're looking at today takes place on the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead after a group of women disciples had come to the tomb to lay spices around his body. An angel appeared to them and told them that Jesus was risen from the dead. And they saw that the tomb was empty. And then we pick up this story in Luke 24, verse 13. Now on the same same day, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? And he asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. Now the third day since these things have taken place. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going to go on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. It's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. 
when he was at the when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, "Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us?" That same hour, they got up, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying. The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road. And now he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we have learned this summer that you are mysterious. And there are things about you that we just don't understand. We gotta ask that you would give us this morning eyes that are open to see you would give us this morning eyes that are open to see you and ears to hear and hearts to understand in Jesus name I pray amen when I was a little girl my two younger siblings and I would play a game we called lost kids anytime we visited our grandma's house we would imagine that we somehow got separated from our family and we come out of the woods and we find an old dilapidated barn that was safe enough to play in but not safe enough to really live in and we would pretend that we had to find a way to survive on our own and the first thing we would do is look for food we would end up making some kind of muddy soup with sticks and rocks and pieces of grass and flowers. And we'd imagine that it was some vegetables from some abandoned garden that we had found and made this delicious soup. Always our priority when we played Lost Kids. Perhaps when you were a child, you made mud pies or had tea parties. Perhaps you had a toy kitchen with imaginary food things in it. Perhaps you have a toy kitchen in your house right now for your children or your grandchildren to play with. Food is a priority for us when we play and when we gather together. Whether it's at home or here at church, there's always food after the service, just so you know. You're welcome to enjoy it with us. Or if you're at a coffee shop with a friend, it's so tempting to just get a little something to share. Even at business meetings that I've been to, at conferences, there's usually some kind of snack or refreshment. Food is necessary for our survival. We need it. But we also crave the fellowship that happens around fellowship that happens around the food table. So table fellowship is an experience that we all long for, even when we're children and now to adults. In our passage today from Luke 24, we find two disciples, Cleopas and his unnamed companion, might have been his wife, walking home to Emmaus the day of Jesus' resurrection, but they didn't know that he was resurrected yet. On the way, they're deep in conversation, and they're sad. Jesus is dead. They expected he would be the one to save them from oppression of the Roman Empire. Jesus seemingly in disguise, joins them on their walk and inquires about their conversation. They're so weighed down with their sorrow that they just stop in their tracks and they respond to him, are you the only stranger who has no collaborate 
As they walk along, they tell about what Jesus had done and who they thought he was going to be, their political savior. And Jesus reprimands them for their foolishness. Ouch. How would you feel if a stranger, after listening to your sorrowful tale of how life is going right now, said, you are foolish and slow? It's amazing to me that the disciples did not just blow Jesus off and say, well, you're not going to walk with us anymore. Thank you very much. I don't think I would have had the humility to listen to Jesus at that point. But these two disciples did. Their willingness to learn is a great example to us of what it means to be a disciple. And they didn't even know it was Jesus who was teaching them. A good disciple can learn from anyone. A good disciple can learn from anyone. Has there ever been a time in your life when someone unexpected taught you a great lesson? Or perhaps they tried to teach you a great lesson and you didn't really want to take time to learn. Did you dismiss them as inexperienced? I think I've been tempted to many times. But I want to tell you about Peggy Jean. Peggy Jean was an elderly woman who attended the church that I went to in Ithaca, New York. She was a unique woman. She had a very severe humpback, so it was hard to actually look in her eyes. So it was kind of uncomfortable to try to talk to her. And she also talked so fast, I could never understand what she was saying. But she loved church. And she loved to write poetry. She loved to write poetry so much that during the middle of the worship service, when the pastor was preaching at our church, she would stand up and say, Pastor, I have a poem just about what you're talking about. It was a little awkward. Um, but our pastor was very humble and gracious, and he would always listen to her poem and thank her very much for participating and invite her to take her seat again. Jesus taught me a lot about patience through Peggy Jean. But there was another lesson that I learned later on as she was ending her life, as her life was, was ending. Peggy Jean ended up in a nursing home, um, in a nursing home hospital bed. She wasn't very mobile. And after being single for her entire life, Peggy Jean got married in the nursing home. She fell in love with a widower and they had a beautiful little ceremony in his hospital room in the, in the nursing home. And the local newspaper wrote a, a piece about it because it was so remarkable. And I'll never forget the look on Peggy Jean's face. Her eyes would just get so big and the smile on her face so bright. As she talked about how they had their hospital beds moved to just get so big and the smile on her face so bright. As she talked about how they had their hospital beds moved next to each other so that they could hold hands. Peggy Jean taught me an important lesson, that it's never too late. It's never too late for anyone. Peggy Jean was an unexpected teacher in my life, and I hope I have been a faithful disciple of her lessons. A good disciple can learn from anyone. So we have two disciples walking to Emmaus, and they're listening to this stranger, who's actually Jesus, teach them. And they're listening with humility, even though they don't know who Jesus is. As they walk along, listening and learning, their hearts are burning within them as Jesus opens up the scriptures to their understanding. It's remarkable to me that Jesus' teaching was not the thing that opened their eyes, even if it did in Jesus 
to talk about the scriptures that are about Jesus, but they didn't see him. It wasn't the teaching that opened their eyes. I think this should give us pause as people who call ourselves Christians and students of the Bible. In the book that we've been studying this summer, Christian Die remarks that somehow it's possible for us to dig deep into the Bible and still miss Jesus. Sometimes we can be so fixed or focused on our, our ideas and assumptions, we fail to grasp exactly what it's saying to us. It's possible to love the Bible but miss the message. And having an exhaustive knowledge of the Bible does not always translate into a life of intimacy with God or even obedience to God. Jesus never criticized anyone for studying the Bible too much. Only, never criticized anyone for studying the Bible too much. Only for failing to allow it to transform their hearts and minds and wills. Are you allowing scripture to transform your life, your heart, your mind, and your will? When the disciples arrive at their home, they invite the stranger teacher to stay with them. Their offer of hospitality made it possible for Jesus to do that. A good disciple can learn from anyone, and a good disciple is hospitable to everyone. Their hearts were warmed by Jesus' teaching, but their eyes were still not open. What is it going to take for them to see Jesus? So Jesus does agree to stay with them. In a surprising turn of events, he takes the bread to bless it when they sit down to eat. Western culture. But for those two disciples, this is where the teaching stranger who walked with them suddenly becomes the Jesus they had been longing to see. Jesus was revealed to them in the breaking of the bread. So we have to understand that in the first century of the Greco-Roman world, as well as in Jewish tradition, meals were highly stratified. The author Tim Chester writes that Roman meals expressed social order. There was always a host and a chief guest, and then other guests were seated in descending order of importance. Certain protocol had to be followed, and only certain people could do certain functions, like blessing the bread. You only ate meals with those who were in similar socioeconomic brackets as yourself, and to eat with someone outside your social standing was absolutely unheard of. Sharing food with someone was a way of, de someone was a way of demonstrating social acceptance and intimacy, and also reconciliation. Table fellowship was a closely guarded privilege and not something that was offered lightly to anyone. They would have told you, you don't just invite anyone over for dinner. Jewish meals were similar, but they had an added layer of Levitical laws that made it almost impossible for Jewish people to eat with anybody else. So every meal demonstrated who were the insiders and who were the outsiders. Now, throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus turns all of this structure and laws inside out. Outsiders became insiders around the table with Jesus. He instructs us in his teaching to sit at the most lowly place instead of where we might belong. 
and stories of inviting all the outcasts to a wedding banquet. Jesus was most often seen eating with tax collectors and sinners. What Jesus was doing with meals was socially disruptive. He was illustrating and initiating a social revolution through his hospitality, and everyone knew it. Jesus did not have to say anything. He simply ate meals with the wrong people. Those two disciples learned well from Jesus. They're examples to us of inviting the stranger over for dinner as they invited their unknown travel companion to stay with them. I wonder what this would look like for us today. The famous labor leader and activist of the 20th century, Cesar Chavez, once said, if you really want to make a friend, go to someone's house and eat with them. The people who give you their food. So who are the people right now in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your circle of influence that you would not consider your friend? Who are the people you disagree with? The people you find it difficult to share a meal with? Perhaps, like Peggy Jean, they might be peculiar or difficult to understand or hard to look at, but we can still encounter Jesus in them and with them. The two disciples are home in Emmaus and they watch with a bit of shock as Jesus, their guest, takes the bread, becomes the host, he breaks it, and he blesses it. Now since Jesus was Jewish, he probably prayed the traditional Jewish blessing over the bread. And this is what he would have said. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. As Jesus hands the bread to them, did they make the connection that he was the bread who had just come forth from the earth, his body broken for them? As the two disciples take the bread that Jesus gives them, their eyes are opened and Jesus disappears. The Lord of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. Now they see Jesus. The Jesus that the women in their fellowship had declared was alive. The very Jesus they were were hoping to see, they finally recognized. And now he's gone. What are they going to do? Well, the disciples can't help themselves. They have to immediately go and tell somebody about their encounter with Jesus. A good disciple can learn from anyone. A good disciple is hospitable to everyone. And a good disciple tells of how you've encountered Jesus. How about you? Have you encountered the risen Jesus? Can you say with these disciples that your heart has burned within you as you learn from scripture? Have your eyes been opened to see Jesus and to acknowledge that the risen Jesus is the Lord of the universe? If you cannot eagerly say you have encountered Jesus in your life because you're afraid to talk about it, I want to encourage you. Jesus is with you and you have nothing to fear. 
if you cannot eagerly, cannot eagerly tell of how you've encountered Jesus in your own life because it's never actually happened, I want to invite you today as we sing this next hymn, ask Jesus to open your eyes and reveal himself to you. You have to choose today to be a disciple, to learn from him, to follow him. And if you want to know how to encounter Jesus, please feel free to come talk to me or any of the elders after church. In the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, we find God in the unexpected place of a stranger who teaches, a stranger who accepts hospitality, and a stranger who goes outside of the social norm by taking the place of host. We also learn from the two disciples what it means to be a disciple. It was understood at that time, a disciple of any rabbi, the job of the disciple to learn everything she or he can from the teacher, from the rabbi, so that when the rabbi is gone, that disciple can continue on in the legacy. It took discipline and love to follow a rabbi. It takes discipline and love for us to follow Jesus. So will we as a church learn from these two disciples who walked to Emmaus that resurrection day? Will we also follow in the ways of Jesus, who is sometimes a stranger? Will we live in such a way that the outsiders become the insiders? Will we be socially disruptive with our hospitality? Will we, like Jesus, eat meals with the wrong people, people we might disagree with? And will we, like the two disciples, eagerly tell of our encounter with Jesus? Will we, like the two disciples, eagerly tell of our encounter with Jesus? I want to challenge you this week to look for opportunities God puts in your life to offer hospitality, especially to those you would normally ignore, people who maybe are like Peggy Jean. Use the gifts that you have to serve others. And in those moments as you share a cup of coffee with someone you disagree with, or make a meal for someone who's in need, or even share an elevator with a coworker you don't want to be around, talk about how you have encountered Jesus in your life. Share a story of how God has met you. Be a disciple. And you might be surprised at how Jesus opens our eyes and their eyes to see him. Would you pray with me? I am very challenged by this passage this week. Lord, would you grant me and all of us in this congregation to have eyes to see the opportunities you put in our life to welcome the stranger, especially those who we usually avoid. And God, would you grant us the courage in those times to talk about you, to talk about how we have encountered you in our lives so that they might see you, Lord Jesus, for who you really are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you turn in your hymns to number Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. 
If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.